0: Alright, so like I said, this new sermon series is on discipleship. We define discipleship here at West Seattle Christian very specifically. We think that there are too many Christians out there in the world who have their own little definition of all these Christianese words, and if we're not on the same page, then we won't be able to row in the same direction, if you will. And so we define discipleship as learning to be with Jesus, so that you can learn from Jesus how to be like Jesus <laughs> so that you can do the things that he did for the reasons that he did them. Um, we are all called and mandated by Jesus himself to go and make disciples of all the nations. That is our mandate. That is part of, it's a, basically a command that Jesus gives his followers, okay? And so I thought as we kick off this fall season, the school year for a lot of folks, for parents and grandparents and Watching kids after school and all that. This is a good season of transition to hit that discipleship piece again as we move uh, throughout the fall. So we're going to spend just a, a quick, short four weeks on this, and uh, I want to I would just want to visit it again so that we're all on the same page. To be able to to do that, to take a look at what discipleship looks like, we're going to look at uh, several different places in the New Testament and how we are designed as followers of Jesus. So. Today's message is the gospel. If you grew up in church like me, and whether you've been in church... Well, I grew up in church from the time I was very small. But maybe you came to the church late, but you were aware of church and that kind of thing. When you heard the term gospel, I even for me growing up in the church, I started thinking things like gospel singing groups you know i i didn't automatically think of the good news i didn't even automatically think of scripture i thought of like gospel singing groups and that kind of thing or someone is trying to preach the gospel to you but what is this gospel that we're talking about if you go to the scriptures and you look up the word gospel anytime you see the word gospel it's the word euangelion let's put that slide up there euangelion say that with me, gelion. okay? And that transliterates in English to evangelism, (laughs) which is kind of weird because you don't think of gospel, that's the root word of evangelism, okay? Telling someone what? You're going to evangelize someone, you're going to give them a gospel, means you're going to give them the good news, okay? So, it literally means good news. And what What's really interesting though, like in a lot of things that we have kind of marinated in here together with the knowledge of the New Testament world as we looked at different cities and acts, we spent a whole series on Philippians trying to get the, the context of this New Testament world. What you learn really quickly is that the words that the disciples were using that are written down in our Bible, they co-opted them. They borrowed them. This word euangelion was not a Christian word. It could have been any kind of good news. But in the context of the Bible, it means a very specific type of good news. Okay, So they did, we did not, Christians did not, invent the word euangelion. We did not come up or coin the term the gospel. Okay, And you look a little bit deeper, there are different historical figures that use this term over and over. A little bit more in recent history, one of the biggest guys who used this was Alexander the Great. He would go around saying, I have a euangelion, I have a euangelion, I have good news for you. And it had all to do with uh, the safety and stability of the government that he was going to provide, you know, for his people. He was a conqueror, a military leader, but more than that, he was an evangelist of a certain message of what, that he thought was good news. If you unpack it a little bit more in history, we did a series uh, several Christmases ago looking at Herod and Caesar, right? And we examined them. Um, and Caesar, Julius Caesar, for example, when he died, his son Octavian, who became Caesar Augustus, who was the Caesar when Jesus was born, Caesar Augustus, is, he, he says, look, when my dad died, you can all see it. There's a new star in the sky, is what he said. And he said, that means my dad is up there and he is now a god. And if my dad was a god, now what am I? What does that make me? So Octavian, Caesar Augustus, said, I am the son of God. And he thought that was a big deal. And so what did he do? He sent out heralds and messengers, evangelists, and he sent them all over the Roman Empire saying, my dad is now God, we can see his star in the sky, and I am now the son of God, so you had better bow down to me as the Son of God, right? I am your Savior. I bring peace. I bring the Pax Romana. And if you don't bow down and worship me as the Son of God, I'll kill you. That's his version of peace, right? So he sends out this herald, this announcement, this euangelion, and he calls it good news. Okay? So what I'm illustrating for you is that when the people in the Bible who first read any of the Scriptures or they heard them being read to them, When they heard the word euangelion, the word good news, it had nothing to do with some type of general good news. It was always something very specific, something that, some kind of message that was being sent out by someone in authority, okay? It was always very specific and somebody wanted you to know it. It always came in an archetypal form, an archetypal form that was like something, 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 here's the good news, right? It always was the form of an announcement. It was always proclaimed to the masses. So, a long time ago, in this small little backwater town, the armpit, the armpit of the Roman Empire, called Jerusalem, the poorest of the poor, this rabbi, upstart rabbi, a nobody, comes along and he starts saying, you have heard it said this, But the kingdom of God is like this. Today I proclaim to you good news. And he kept saying it over and over and over. And he started to talk about a new kingdom being ushered in. So the the challenge I have for you today is a simple question. What is the gospel to you? And it matters. It matters when it comes to following Jesus. It matters if you call yourself a disciple of Jesus. What has this been represented to you to be? I mean, if you've been in church for 10 minutes, and by that I mean like a long time, <laughs> you, you, you have been given an idea of what the gospel is, okay? And I've talked about the gospel in the past. I've had a lot of kickback when I've talked about the gospel as not being only about salvation. But that is the primary message that we've been given, that it's just about salvation, it seems when I, when I say there's more to it, the church, people in the church who've been in the church for a long time, they come to me and they say, but we need to grow the church. You need to talk about salvation and that kind of stuff. Yes, we do. And we're going to get into that. But that's part of what the gospel is. The salvation bit is part of what the gospel is. But it's only half. It really is only half. What they're saying to me when someone comes to me and says, no, it is all about salvation, is that, it's just about getting into heaven when you die. But Jesus speaks about this over and over and over again. Uh, anybody want to guess how many parables there are that Jesus tells in, in the New Testament? Want to guess? Nobody? Nobody wants to guess. Crickets. Okay. 500. No, way less than that. Seems like 500 sometimes, though. 50, that's closer. It's actually a little less than that. He told, He tells 38 parables. Okay. There's 38 parables. 20 of them, in 20 of them, let's put this up on the screen, 20 of them, he specifically links the word gospel to the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. So when he uses the term good news, he is talking about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. Each time he does that. Do you know how many times in those parables, in those 38 parables, he actually brings up the term salvation? Anybody want to guess? I think I heard it. Zero. Yeah, he doesn't, he does not use the term salvation. He always uses the term kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven. And you might say, you might think, oh, well, he's talking about salvation because he's talking about heaven. But it's this particular term in Greek when he says kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven. He's not talking about some esoteric place in the clouds where we're all going to sit on harps someday. He's not just talking about that type of idea, okay? He says, he says, I'm talking about God's kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. And he says that it's near, and we're going to look at some of these passages. He says that it's at hand, and you're like, okay, what does that mean, okay? So let's see what Jesus' essential message was, and I want to start throwing some scriptures at you, and then we're going to land on one primary parable and look at that for a minute. Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, Jesus went throughout the Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news, that's that word, euangelion, of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. So the good news of what? The good news of the kingdom. Okay? It's not just the good news. We don't just preach the good news. Jesus himself is going around preaching the good news of something. Some type of proclamation of the kingdom. Let's look at another one. Mark chapter 1 verses 14 through 15. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The the time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. What good news? Of what? The kingdom. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The good news about this kingdom that has come near. Let's look at another one. Luke chapter 4. Do we have that one? I think I skipped that one. I'm going to read it to you anyway. Luke chapter 4, verses 42 through 43. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him. And when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must proclaim the good news. I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. So here's the deal. When we talk about what the gospel is, when Christians talk about the gospel, when we talk about the good news, we need to understand how that fits into our worldview now. And in order to do that, we have to consider all these verses Where Jesus was talking about the kingdom of God. And you need to ask the question. We should ask the question. Are we talking about the same thing Jesus was talking about when he talked about the gospel? Are we talking about the same thing he was talking about? Or are we talking about something that you just grew up in church with but you never really thought about? You guys tracking with me? Because in none of these places, and many many more like them, does... He just talked about him about save salvation. He doesn't talk about salvation. What he's doing, he's going around and he's telling these parables about the love of God and what it's like to live in God's love and to act out God's love. That is what the kingdom is. It, every one of them is about people who were outcast, people who were thirsty and hungry and sick, and he's meeting their needs, and then he's telling about what the kingdom is. And he's like, the kingdom is, like all of us getting together together, People getting healed. People coming back into community where they were ostracized before. And they're able to be a family that takes care of each other and lives in God's love, in His kingdom. And Jesus physically demonstrates that every time in every one of these parables what that's like. He's trying to draw word pictures for them that help them make sense of it. Now, salvation is part of His message. But in our time, the salvation bit has been made the central and only Part of the gospel message. And the problem with that, the problem with that is that it just makes us content. Yay, the gospel is the good news. I've heard the good news about Jesus, how he came. But Jesus Himself was going around preaching the good news. And if we just make it about the good news about Jesus, which is brilliant, by the way, it's absolutely wonderful and amazing. But if we just make it about that, we we become content. We become apathetic. We're basically like, I'm comfortable here. I heard the news. And I'm good. And now I'm just going to come to church. You know? Instead of, there's more to it. And I'm called to be part of the church. Not just come to the church. So, we've made it just that it's only about this salvation thing. When you look at the context of these verses and these parables that we're looking at, he's inviting them into the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven right then and there. He's inviting them into something right then, not just after they die. Remember, when he's teaching these things, he hasn't yet died and rose again. So when he's making allusions to the fact that he is going to die and come back, they're kind of like, what? Because that's never happened before and it doesn't make any sense. Right? So they're just trying to be like him. And when he's preaching the gospel, the good news, and he's saying, it's like this, and it's like this, and it's like this, and it's like this, in, in constant, constant and consistent parables, they're starting to get an idea of what that kingdom looks like. And it's always over and against the kingdom that they are already a part of, which is Rome. Okay? The Roman Empire. It's always like that. Let's use an analogy. Analogies break down, right? They, at some point, they always break down. And I know you're going to. Some of you might dis- dismiss this right away. But let's use an analogy, and let's use. Um, uh, let me ask you a question: Has any of you ever been to Disneyland or Disney World? Raise your hand high. Don't be ashamed. Okay. Yeah, yeah. How many of you want to go? You yeah, haven't been. Yeah, my kids want to go, and I just tell them, uh, I I've been there and watched all the parents with kids, and I'm like, no way. Not a chance. I mean, I want you to experience, but you're going to be a little bit older. And this is coming from me where my parents were teachers, and we lived like six hours away from L.A., and we could go in the summer because they were teachers, you know. And they went to Disneyland on their honeymoon, so Disneyland was a big deal. So we went probably more than the average child, right, back when it was cheaper, and we always did things on the cheap but because they were teachers (laughs) and that kind of thing. But Disneyland, what's the other name for Disneyland? The happiest place on earth or the magic kingdom, the magic kingdom, right? And the happiest place on earth. So let's imagine you've heard about this place and you've never been and you want to get there. You want to go. Let's imagine we have to walk to get there. Let's imagine that we all set out together and we have to go cross rivers and walk through forests, and walk through this basically like Samaria, modern day Samaria, which is like, there's two spots, part of Oregon and part of Central California. It's just like, you know, the Jews would have gone around it, you know. You're like, what is he saying? It's, It's a barren wasteland, okay? And you get down to, we have scratches and injuries, and we're thirsty and tired, and we finally get to Disneyland, right? And before you get in, they say you have to do something before you get in. And what do you have to do? You ha- Let's imagine in this analogy that you have, they say, well, if you want to get into Disneyland, you have to repent and believe in Jesus Christ, and then you'll be allowed in. Okay? And you're like, well, I've made it all this way. Yeah, I want to, I've heard this good news. I want, I want to get in. So yeah, I'm, I, I repent and I believe in Jesus, so now let me in. Right? So then you enter the gates of Disneyland and you walk in and you look around and you're just rooted to the spot and you're amazed and you're looking at all the decorations and you're standing there on Main Street and you're looking around at all the shops and you can see the street goes way down and there's more back there, but you're going to have to walk back there to get there. You're at the happiest place on earth and you got in. And you're just like, wow, this is amazing. And you continue to just look around, and you stand there at the gate, just inside the door for the rest of your life. And you don't go on any rides. And you don't go in any restaurants. And you don't get on the roller coasters. And you don't ride the big paddle boat ferry, which nobody rides anyway. You don't go to Tom Sawyer Island, which is the best spot for kids. And you don't go to Space Mountain. And you really don't go to Galaxy's Edge, the new Star Wars land that I really want to go to. You just stand there at the gate for the rest of your life. And you're like, guys, come over here and look at everything with me. But you don't fully enter into the kingdom. Do you see where I'm going with this? Don't fully enter. Get saved. Repent. Believe. So what? So you can stand around and look? So you can stand around and look? But not fully enter in. Why would you not fully not want to fully enter into the kingdom of God? And so... As we talk about the good news of the kingdom, don't just stand at the gate and talk about salvation. There's more to it. There's way more to it. Don't misunderstand me. Don't think that I'm just throwing Jesus and salvation out with the bathtub or whatever. Our debts have been paid. Please hear me how grateful I am for that in my own life when I think about that. But it's not the whole gospel. It's not what our rabbi Jesus taught. Whenever he talked about the gospel, he talked about the kingdom of heaven. And it's more than just your get out of hell free card. That's it's more than that. It's important to have a deeper understanding of what Jesus was actually talking about. Jesus keeps saying that it's near, then it's close. So am I just holding on to my salvation, and bad things are going to come in my life? But I'm just like, yeah, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna let those come in here and try to ignore them, sweep them under the rug, and I'm just can't wait till I get to the end where I get to go to heaven, or, or. Is there more to it? Is there purpose and involvement now? Maybe the kingdom of God isn't just then, way off in the future. Maybe it's now also. And so we need to check into some texts more to see what Jesus said about that. I want you to look at Luke 17, verse 20. It says, When Jesus, when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, and I like to making room there, called the kingdom of God because he like, he like capitalizes it basically in the Greek. He's like, this is a thing that you need to know about, the kingdom of God. So the K-O-G is the kingdom of God. Okay. When asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come and Jesus replied, the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed. You can't just watch. You can't just watch it. Nor will people say, here it is or there it is because the kingdom of God is in your midst. What? Kingdom of God is in your midst? Where is this kingdom of God that Jesus talks about directly and specifically 20 times in, thir- in out of 38 of the parables that he preaches? Where is that? He says it's in your midst? What does he mean by your midst? Is that like, is it like linear time? It's like right here in, on the timeline? Or does he mean like physical space? Is it like is right here next to me? I can put my arm around it. It's in your midst, like physically right by you. Well, let's look at another, the the main passage I want to look at today, where he talks about the parable of the mustard seed. He says again, starting in Mark 4, verse 30, he says, what shall we say? The kingdom of God is like, or what parable shall we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand, and he did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything. So this is a very small, it's a short parable, right? Basically, it says, the kingdom of God is like this mustard seed. It's the smallest seed, but you're going to plant it. It's going to turn into this large garden plant, so much so that his branches, in his branches, all these birds can perch in its shade. This is one of these times where the context of that first century, we don't get it in our century. We go, okay, that sounds nice, but I've never really sat down and done a Bible study like really specifically on what in the world he's talking about with this mustard seed. And apparently, it looks like even his disciples needed some clarification later. This mustard seed reference is really, really important. And I don't think we get it because not only are we 21st century, like 21 centuries later, but we're Western. We're American. We don't have a Middle Eastern mindset, let alone an ancient Middle Eastern mindset. But those people then, I think they had a better idea of what he was talking about. And I think the top of the top, probably the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Scribes, they may have actually gotten the reference that he was talking about. The key thing here, if you write anything in your notes, is it's about the birds. It's about the birds. Really. And we'll explain that in just a minute. They they would have heard this if they would have known their Old Testament. And they would have immediately thought about this place in Scripture in this obscure little prophetic book called Ezekiel. Ezekiel 17. You can write that down in your notes and go look at it later. talks about this big tree and what God's going to do with it. And they make a connection there, and, they, and as they tie that connection to this verse about what Jesus is saying in this parable, they think about these birds resting in the shade of the branches of this tree. They're resting in the shade. And in their mind, in their mind, if they were good Jews, they would have grown up thinking Israel is the tree. Israel is the tree. And everyone on earth Is represented by different birds who are going to come and rest in the shade of this tree. Israel is what's going to provide the shade. The idea that Jesus is drawing from, from that scripture is this God's people. If you are God's people, this applies to you. God's people are the ones who provide shade and rest for other people who need it. This is the other part of the gospel of the kingdom we provide shade and rest for others who need it. And we don't just provide shade and rest for God's people, for our own people, for Christians, but we offer that rest and that shade and that protection to people who don't even believe in our God. In other words, people who don't even believe in our God, who may not even believe in Jesus, they get to rest in our shade. They get to rest in our shade. And that is a beautiful, beautiful picture that Jesus is illustrating with this parable that we this is an illustration of what I just said at the beginning of the hour a tangible living out of God's love of taking care of others this is the kingdom that Jesus is proclaiming so it's about having the same understanding about what the kingdom of God is and what this good news this gospel is what is our understanding of the gospel as a church family Before we can get to discipleship and being like Jesus, we have to have a a definition for what the gospel is. It matters when it comes to being disciples. We've got to be on the same page. Because the gospel Jesus is talking about, it isn't only what you're saved from. That's the salvation part, right? It's not only what we're saved from. The things that we've done that are bad, right? The sin in the world, the sin in our hearts. That's one part of it. It's very good to be saved from those things. Don't get me wrong. There are all these things that separate us from God's love and we are saved from that separation. And I am just if you're like me, you just get overwhelmed when you think about that sometimes and the unimaginably grateful for what Jesus has done for us, but it's also about what we're saved for. It's what we're about what we're saved for. It's about following Jesus to the place where you're participating with Him, and you're participating just like Him in this kingdom, in His kingdom, doing the things He did for the reasons that He did them. There is a massive difference, unfortunately. And, I, and I've and i worked in and been a part of other churches in my life, like many of you, have been a part of other churches. And at some point, you start to notice some differences between churches, not just on what they say, but what they do, and that kind of thing. That's why... I always say, go look at, don't look at the list of scriptures that online at any church about what they believe, because they all almost always line up. Look at what they value. Look at their values page to see what they're doing and what they're practicing. But there's a math, massive difference between churches that stop with only the first half, the, what you're saved from. There's a difference between the church that only preaches that and a church that preaches that and what you're saved for to participate in this kingdom. So what happens is if you only do the first part is those churches tend to be really good at baptizing people, but then for lack of a better term, those people are left to tread water spiritually. And they have no idea how to become like Jesus, and there's no footholds, and there's no there's no life rings, and there's no swimming lessons to learn how to do the other half, which is what we're saved for. You can't really be about telling people what they're saved from unless you know what you're saved for in the first place. So we don't want people to tread water here. We want people to learn about the gospel, to know how much God is loving them and pursuing them and what he's done for them. That's the good news. We also want them to know that he's asked them to join him in establishing this kingdom. My question is this, and this is it's a short one today. Woo-hoo. Do you just want the gospel of the salvation from something? I mean, that's good. It's more than good enough, but it, it's still truncated. Do you just want the gospel that's just salvation from something? Or do you want the other half too? you want the other half? the good news of the kingdom of God that you were created for, that you can live for. You can live for. and You can have a role in it. You get to choose that. You get to choose that. You get to choose if you're going to jump in and live on purpose. Live on purpose. With purpose. The purpose that God has for you in His kingdom. The alternative is, like I said before, very simply, is that you could just sit back You can coast. You can coast. And that's it. So, that's the question I'm going to leave you with, and we're going to pray. This is the kickoff. We have to have that same gospel with both halves. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. And I want you to sit and think about what you're saved for. What is your gospel? Which one have you accepted? Just the, I'm saved and I got my ticket? Or is it, I'm saved and I'm secure and I know where I'm headed, but I'm saved for a purpose. And that's so that I'm prepared for that place that I'm headed and that I get to prepare others for that place that we're headed. God's kingdom and the full realization of it. Let's pray. Father, I know... This message is difficult for us. It doesn't easily translate across the ages when we look at the context of what Your Son was saying and all of these parables that mention this kingdom of God that's in our midst and that it's near and that it's among us. And so we have a hard job to do, Father, to understand what You're saying there through Your Son. And that He's inviting us into live without apathy and without complacency and to live on purpose. Help us to do that. Help a a passion to burn in our hearts for that. That we would pursue others and live with the purpose that you have given us in that way with the passion that your son Jesus has. That we would never give up on each other and that we would allow others to rest in our shade help us to understand what that means for your kingdom that the kingdom of god is helping others to rest in the shade of jesus as we live it out in our lives it's in christ's name i pray amen